I'm Laura Marsh, a field biologist and avid conservationist. I know firsthand that finding wildlife work is tough. You're often underpaid, undervalued, and burnt out. These are the stories and interviews from people just like you to help find solutions to the systemic problems in our industry and bring more equity and justice to the rich diversity of life on our planet. We are shaking up the world of conservation through Nova Conversations. Hello, wonderful humans. It's Laura. I am behind on my podcast release, so I'm kind of squeaking this out at the last minute. I'm actually out of town right now, so I don't have my headset. I don't have my fancy microphone stuff, so I hope this sounds okay. But regardless, I wanted to put the episode with Dylan Jones, aka Dylan the Biologist, out as soon as possible because it's such a good... (laughs) Uh, he's such a good storyteller. He's so energetic. He has so many good ideas and it's just really, really fun. Like this is a a fun episode. Uh, There's like funny stories of field work. We talk from about everything from, you know, scientific literacy and trolls and haters online. Because Dylan, if you're not familiar with Dylan, he's like a Uh, what is it called like a science influencer and he's a communicator um so he has a big following especially on instagram um oh that that comes with challenges as you can imagine because people are, are weird especially on the internet so yeah we talk about a lot of different things like making very little money in grad school the bureaucracy with colleges and academia we talk about like a lot of technology advancements, including Web3 or like 3.0 or something. I don't even know what it's really called, but it's like a decentralized internet, NFTs, cryptocurrency. He gets into all that. So if you like that type of stuff, stay tuned. That's kind of towards the end of the episode. And really, it's all about like doing science for curiosity and the sake of learning. That's, That's the goal. And I think that's what this episode shines is like learning adventurously like that's his business is to just help people explore and be creative and use science as a force for good and also we're similar in the sense of we want to bring more funds to science and conservation efforts and so we're both thinking of creative solutions for doing that so it's a great great talk and I'm releasing this specifically because well specifically at this time because um we, well, Dylan and Jean, uh, a Belizean tour guide, have organized a trip to Belize and it's happening this summer. So the episode releases, um, this episode will release May 27th, hopefully. And the trip is already coming up in June. So there are two options for the trip. There's a June trip and there's a July trip. I will be going on the July trip. And I would love, love, love you to join me. It's super, super exciting. There's so much biology going on. We're going to be, hold on, i got to pull up my, uh, the, the itinerary for what this trip encounters is going to be just phenomenal. So we'll be going to visit a tropical research station called Trees, which is Toucan Ridge Ecological and Educational Society. We'll stay with them. We'll do some bird banding, bat mist netting, and observe that. A jaguar hike in some of the sanctuaries. We'll learn about my medicinal plants. <laughs> this is so cool. 
Um, I really, I don't know anything about that. Like I can, I know about birds and bats and stuff, but like Mayan indigenous medicinal plants, that's something that's totally outside my realm that I'm excited about. We'll be snorkeling with uh, with manatees and mangroves, help with some coral reef restoration, and even help with the Crocodile Research Coalition and observe what their research and their projects go towards. So I can't wait. (laughs) I'm like so stoked about this trip. So if you want to join us, I will definitely keep the link in the bio. Um, Sign up. I highly recommend it. It's going to be amazing. And yeah. Oh yeah. The dates are June 21st through 28th. And I think there's only like one spot left. And then July 5th through 12th. And that's the one I'll be going on. And if you can't make it this year, book your calendar, like put it in your planner because we're going to do this again next year for sure. So be sure to stay tuned and we'll um, (laughs) get you some more updates with that. Oh, and this could be a good plug for going to my website, novaconservation.com and just filling out your email to make sure that you stay in the loop with all of our trips and announcements, the podcast episodes, everything we have going on, which is a lot. Yeah, so I recorded this, we recorded this episode back in, I think it was January, so it's been a while, and that's when Omicron was a big deal, and we were not sure whether this trip would go forward, and, um, you know, COVID's still a thing, but right now, the biggest issue is the plane tickets, the trips to travel internationally are very expensive, like the flights are much more expensive than they have been because of the unfortunate uh, unjust war uh, that's going on in Ukraine. So, yeah, first of all, support Ukraine. <laughs> Second of all, it's it's really, like, unpredictable. Like, that's the thing with these trips is it's hard to plan. It takes so much energy and time to plan a week-long-plus trip with all of the details and places to stay. And given everything that we're going to do, like the amount that Jean and Dylan are charging is really, 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 really cheap. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy. I even was like, we should be charging more because all this money is going to go back to conservation. Like we're not taking any of it. Dylan's actually going to lose money uh, like quite significantly. So Um, anyway, all that to say, like, it just gets complicated when you are planning trips and there's moving pieces and especially with international travel and with flights and, uh, a pandemic and war, like, it's just, there's a lot. So one of the things I specifically through Nova Conservation and through mammals, which we talk a little bit about in this episode, mammals with a Z, um, we're looking to do some more virtual events. And so if you're not part of the mammals community, I highly recommend joining them. And um, there's more to be said about that, but I'll end it here and just let you enjoy and listen to the episode, listen to all these ideas about making conservation science better and listen to, you know, Dylan's revolutionary thoughts about making our planet better and using technology and using all sorts of creative, innovative solutions to help and help help people help projects help researchers help redistribute wealth and help wildlife so i hope you enjoy it
Oh yeah, one final thing. I have a new Patreon supporter. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for being a quaternary predator or a quaternary, what do they call it? Yeah, quaternary predator um, on our Patreon. That's a top tier. So Caitlin is a top tier Patreon supporter. And um, also a big shout out to Melly and Brent, who are our continued Patreon supporters. So if you want to join Patreon, please support us and me and the good work we're doing through the podcast. You can do so. See the link in our bio or you can um, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Nova Conservation, all one word. Without any further ado, I hope. Here's my conversation with Dylan Jones, a.k.a. Dylan, the biologist. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Nova Conversations. I'm Laura, and I'm here with Dylan Jones of Dylan, the biologist. Hi, Dylan. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Are we still having this weird... Oh, no, I can hear you now. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> we were trying to figure out some technological things earlier as... Most of you are aware biologists don't get paid the most. And so we are, <laughs> we are like jury rigging the free options up as much as possible in order to produce the highest quality sound um, available. And that involves some trial and error. So um, that's just that's just the life that we're on. If it's more than $5 a month, I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, even $5 a month, I'm like, uh, I don't think I could swing that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> So yeah, let's start by talking about that. Like um, being a biologist, first of all, tell me your background a little bit and um, the money side of things, because I know that is all important. I'm sure you get, you're huge on Instagram. So I'm sure you get so many people every day saying, I want to be a biologist. Like, what are your secrets? Tell me everything. And you're like, okay, you're not going to make any money. So let's just dive right in. Yeah, yeah, that's, oh, that's so good. Because, yeah, my, my background is I'm a biologist and science communicator. Uh, my name is Dylan, so on Instagram, I'm Dylan the Biologist. Uh, basically, I did a, uh, oh gosh, how did I get started in biology? I uh, started doing undergraduate research at Texas A&M, basically my first semester. Um, just really fell in love with the research side of things, always was kind of an animal nut, and then uh, just slowly progressed through all the uh, the rigmarole of getting into academia more and more, doing my research, trying to do like a study abroad. Um, and then now I'm currently in a master's program at San Diego State University uh, for uh, evolutionary biology. So it's, yeah, my, my, my focus has always been like reptiles and amphibians. So like creepy crawlies and slimy things. I just think they're so cool. Um, but, but you said trying to study abroad. What do you mean by trying to? Like, oh, yeah. Trying and succeeding, I guess I should say, because I, okay. I definitely did a few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah, I guess like that's that's because I've done a few now because uh, in, in undergrad, I was able to do um, I was able to do Panama, Belize and Costa Rica. Um, wow. Yeah, I did a whole bunch, which is why I, my research focuses on like middle America, because that's where I've done stuff. <laughs> Panama, Belize and Costa Rica. Right. Okay. Yeah. Where was your first trip and how did you get that opportunity? Yeah. So the first one was Panama. Um, and that one was a, um, yeah, so that one, uh, this, this is good because they're all sort of different things. Um, so the Panama one was basically the professor I was working for. I was caring for a whole bunch of reptiles and amphibians in this like basement in the biology department. Uh, he was wanting to maybe do a study abroad in Panama at some point. So he needed to do, go like basically do a trip just to scout it out, make sure the facility is good make sure, you know, everything looks right, make sure, do a little bit of research. Um, and he said, if I can just afford my flight, uh, he can pay for everything else. 
Um, so that was based on my study abroad. It was like my first spring break in undergrad was going to Panama. I was super lucky with that one. Oh, that's um, so nice. Yeah. I mean, the flight was too expensive, you know, it was like seven, $800, but that's, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> savings. So, are and gone. so what was the goal of that trip? Like, and where did you guys go? So we kind of went all over the country. Um, the the goal was to check out this one research station near um oh my gosh i am forgetting the national park that it's near um i'm pulling i'm probably pulling up a lot of things you haven't talked about in a while yeah so. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it's it, but it, it was what's great is it was really the main thing was like checking out the research station and yeah. the station was um it was supposed to be like you know running water uh full electricity we were gonna have like three meals a day provided for the cost which was like really good for study abroad stuff just planning wise um, turns out, um, it, the, the, by running water, they meant that the station was next to a river. Um, yeah, um, it, the, all their pictures were before they demolished all the trees around it. So it's just like a barren landscape, basically. Oh it, like, it was weird. And then, um, by meals, it was only if their neighbor was around to cook. So they actually didn't provide any meals. And then we didn't even stay at the station because they said, um... They were saying some weird stuff. It was like, we could not drive up to the station, which is kind of a big problem if you want to do research because you yeah. have gear and stuff. Yeah. Um, so they put us up in, in, no joke, a bus stop for a week. Um, oh, my gosh. And, and it was it was it was so it was so jank because um, the there were there were three of us. Uh, it was me, the undergrad, a grad student and the professor. And there only had two beds. So um, I slept in the attic of this bus stop for a week in the middle of the jungle and like my, my my spanish is terrible so it was just it was a whole ordeal there was a hole in the side of the roof so we actually had central air you know but it was <laughs> we doing the whole <laughs> yes it was so bad i have pictures somewhere in my drives i, I need to send them over to you because it was it was just insane oh my um, gosh you can add that to like the yelp review like stayed in the bus station Central yeah. air. <laughs> it was. It was. It was just so wild because it was like every single part of that trip failed. You know, like I was supposed to help out. We were supposed to find out um, snakes to extract like oral parasites from. Just it's like that was one of the projects. Oral parasite. Wow. Okay, I'm learning yeah. so many new was, things. Snakes yeah. have oral parasites. Okay. Oh yeah, and it was weird. So we we found a snake the first night. And uh, the, the, the grad student, he picked it up. And he, it was this weird moment of, like, it was just three dudes in the jungle looking at each other. And we were like, do we know what this snake is? And we were like, we all said no. And they were like, do we know if it's venomous or not? And then we all said no. So we just let it go. It turns out it was, like, one of the coral snakes. Um, and I, I was like, I was like, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> like, first day. And then, yeah, that, but that was the only snake we found the whole trip. And it was just oh like, what is going on? Um, so yeah, it was just like, it was just like this, that was my first field experience was, uh, going out. It was just this massive failure. Uh, like every step of the way was awful. It kept breaking we, or the rental car. We had to pay so much money. Not me, <laughs> Royal we, I guess, but we, it, it broke a few times cause you know, we backed into a pole. It was, it was, yeah, it was just this whole trip that just kept failing. Uh, but I loved it because it was like my first experience. And I was like, I guess it can only go up from there. Um. that's the thing about field work is like you either love it or you hate it like you oh, hate, yeah. some people just hate the unknown and the spontaneous and the unplanned stuff and or you have that type of personality where it's like 
yes, I thrive in this. Even though it wasn't at all what I imagined, I still love it. And it sounds oh, like that was not at all what you imagined, but that was your first field experience. That was my first field experience. Yeah. So it was kind of starting off with a bang, you know, and it's, and then after that, it was like, we, I did a lot of local field experiences because um, I worked at the museum back at undergrad. So helping out with little research projects here and there, like setting up audio recorders or um, helping the, the herpetology course go out and look for stuff. But um, yeah. And then after that, I did a uh, Belize for three months, um, which was, an experience. <laughs> wow. Okay. So let me, I want to hear about Belize yeah. too. I, I do try to ask this question and I always forget, like what's your favorite field experience um, or but something funny, interesting, engaging, um, embarrassing, something that you just love sharing. And it sounds like that might've been one of the stories is you guys catching a snake and not knowing what it was <laughs> or whether it's venomous or not. Yeah. And cool snakes are extremely like neurotoxic venomous yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's really terrifying but do you have a a, a different field story that you like to share or oh, something i have plenty i'm <laughs> sure you do that was sure. definitely like top five but that was like the whole trip um so actually yeah it's, it's a good segue so um in 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 belize so i was an intern there um i got funding through my university um which i know we're going to touch upon at some point more yes uh, but it, great field story for this um uh, uh, one of the big projects was tracking turtles. They had these mud turtles on the property and we were, we had these big radio telemetry devices, like giant antennas, uh, looking for the turtles. And the, the problem was that it, there, there's these massive floods there that, uh, just completely wash out all the bridges. And we kind of want to track the turtles during the floods, uh, because it's, it's like, it's not, it's really not dangerous to be out in the rain um it's just dangerous to be in the water when the flood is coming down because it's just a mountain stream so um it's not too bad well w one of the things they wanted us to do to to solve this problem of well how do we track them if the bridges are always gone and there's you know 20 extra feet of water or whatever um we we had to build a zip line so it was, that was like you know i don't really have all these skills but like hey let's build a zip line i have video of me on it um but when we were, oh gosh, but when we were building it, which yes, this is on my CV. It's my favorite line. It's like, built a zip line to track turtles in Belize. It's just like, come on. Like, who isn't going to talk about that? Like, Oh my gosh. So, okay. So, <laughs> so last week we had like a live and we were talking about zip lines, like jokingly, like, oh, if you go on the oh, yeah, yeah, zip line, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, that's hokey and whatever. But if you go on a zip line to track turtles in the middle of a right. flooded rainforest that is freaking right. awesome right and i guess and i guess at this point it's not a zipline the original goal was to make it you just latch on and get across you know and we would have like a return zipline as well uh the the final design was one where you just pull yourself across um we figured that out and i was like i felt i, I felt giddy because the design was mine and i was like ah, it works but 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 there was so much argument about how to get this because the the two interns i was working with it was sort of a it was, they, I, they, they were awesome. I, I loved working with them because they were just like fun people, but it was, uh, one of these things of, I already had like three years of experience doing field research and they had none. Okay. So even though we were both interns, it was just like, there was such an experience gap that it was, I was like trying to be like, look, I do not want to climb up a tree to get to the zip line, especially when it's flooding and I'm having to carry gear, possibly turtles. Like I, this is not safe, like yeah. whatever. And it was this sort of like. It, I guess this is the moment where I realized, like, you don't always have to make compromises because I was making compromises. 
And the, oh gosh, so I had this plan of just like the pull across one, which is ultimately what we did. Right. They had this other idea. So they set up the zip line on top of these stones. And the whole thing was like, of course, like you were not designing it to fail. Like, of course, you don't want to just fall into the water. But my logic of if I fall into the water, I'd rather fall into the water and not on these giant boulders and break a leg in the middle of a flood. You know, like those, those types of thought processes. Makes sense. Life preservation. Yeah. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to show them why this isn't a good idea. So we built it. So we cut some, uh, they had these, um, they they weren't sugar cane, but they were something similar to it. So we cut them down. Um, It was over the boulder. Uh, We we strapped in the zip line. We actually like, I think it was like the, one of the guys at the station, his cousin, I think built a zip line. So he knew how to do it. Okay. Following his technique. So, of course, I'm the one who has to test the zipline because everyone else is too scared. And I'm like, I'll do it. I don't have self-preservation, I guess. Uh, well, I, I, I latched in. And the problem is with these, if you go on any zipline, you know, they sag quite a bit. It's yes. kind of by design to make it too tight, they'll break. So I, I got it and I dropped like about a foot and I start going down. And then I realized all those sugarcane things that we had cut were now pointed and pointing directly at me. And I'm, you know, sitting, so it's not, it's not, it's not coming for a very, uh, a good part of my body. And so I had to pull myself up and over and I was dangling from the zipline. It's a very short zipline. It's very short. And like, worst comes to worst, I would just, you know, I would fall to the water or whatever. But after that, I just started yelling. I was like, we are not doing this. This is such a bad idea. I told you we're doing my design and we did it and it, it worked. And and it was also like, and they were leaving a week later. So they weren't even going to use this thing. It was all me who had to use it. I was like, no, we're not doing this. You almost got impaled by sugarcane type material. Yeah. And, like <laughs> while zip lining through a flooded rainforest, potentially with turtles on your back. That is that is an awesome story. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Yeah. You're okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's like, yeah, so that, that was trees. That's the Toucan Ridge Ecology Education Society. I I, I love them there. So I, mm-hmm. I, I keep trying to go back. <laughs> keep trying to or going back. Uh, keep right? trying. <laughs> trying. <laughs> yeah, always trying. Always um, trying. Yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, that was like a that was like a wink nudge to talk about your summer yeah. trip, potentially yeah. a little so, bit. Yeah. yeah, so we're, we are... We're going to we're going to take a step back this week and just double check with like the Omicron situation if this is a good idea. Oh, um, okay. But assuming because I mean it, it's going to happen next year then if not. Um, yeah. But basically, yeah, we've been planning a trip out to Belize. Uh, we being like me and a um, a good uh, a tour guide friend of mine from Belize, um, planning this biology focused trip that actually stays at this research station that I just talked about with the zip line, um, as well as doing things like manatee watching. Um, helping out with the Crocodile Research Coalition, doing some coral restoration work, just like this massive biology trip that is staying with uh, with biologists, with research stations, working with NGOs and stuff to actually, you know, get them some money through a ecotourism model. And so as you said all that in the whatever, but 30 seconds that you yeah. just explained that trip, I'm like, again, when I saw you post that on Instagram and I was like, that's exactly what Nova Conservation is trying to do. Oh my gosh, I have to get in touch with you, which, which <laughs> led, led yeah. me to this. Like, let's talk about this because that is so incredible. Because I have um, been in touch with Vanessa a little bit at Trees, mm-hmm. um, and it was a while ago. Um, but I need to follow up with her. But I keep saying that, and I <laughs> just need to send an email. But um, like things have changed. You know, I mean, pandemic, blah blah blah. Right. So, do you think? realistically, 
how do you feel about traveling this summer? Um, because Omicron, Omicron, I can't even say it, Omicron. Whatever it is now. I, do you think it's going to still be here this summer? Like, So I, I, I don't think Omicron is still going to be here. I think uh, our, our biggest worry is that it'll be a new variant. Um, and realistically, <laughs> realistically, like Belize has some of the best like COVID precautions for tourists that I've honestly seen from any other country. Um, it's like constant testing. It's like every single stop along the way has to be self-certified. Like it, it, it's really good. So like for, from a safety perspective and, and you need a negative test to even enter the country. So like, I, I don't feel, I don't really feel cautious about going there. I don't really feel cautious. Our, our biggest worry is that what is going to happen if a new variant pops up and then now there's travel restrictions and then three guests can't come. And that's, you know, we, we don't, we didn't want to, We don't want to be put in a situation where it's like, we can't give you a refund because like that money is already put into hotels and everything else. So right. we're, we're kind of discussing that, trying to figure out um, if it's a good idea or not to do this like massive trip. Um, you know, one option is just to like not do it. Yeah, it, it's tricky. It's so tricky. So the, the trips are in like June and July. Um, unfortunately, the June one's almost already full. And it's like, we, we just want to like, me and my partner are going to have a discussion sometime this week uh, just to figure it out, just to be like, before we put down the money, before we can't get refunds out to people, is this something we want to do? Or do we want to do something where I just sort of like, hey, it's not through me. It's not through Learn Adventurously. It's not through anything like that. It's um, just going. Uh, you, if you want to go, here's Jean's number. It's all on your own. I just can't because of refunds. It's just so tricky. But of course, that means it's going to be more expensive because everything is on a group rate, you know, we're, we're taking 12 people total at a time to somewhere and that's supposed to give us discounts and other places, you know, it's like, they're not going to do it for just one or two people. Um, so we're just kind of having like that real conversation of business. Is this good? Because it could really screw us over and screw over people too, if they get travel restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true and sad and scary. And yeah. it feels like we're all back at square one again. Like I launched Nova at the beginning of 2020 and then two months <laughs> in, it was like, Oh, can't do that. So my, my, uh, a little bit of background about Nova in case you don't know is that I um, started a database with these types of experiences so people can connect with Bio biologists and researchers and things like that. So you could go on this trip and um, do adventurous things, but also uh, biological minded things. Right. But then it got into this issue of like, what is, what is worth paying for? What is um, something that's like where someone would be taken advantage of? Is it pay to work? Is it paying to volunteer? And so I'm kind of sorting to like um, tease out all those variables. So in your experience. So you've been to Panama, you've been to trees in Belize, and then you've been to um, uh, Costa Rica. Yeah, Costa Rica. Um, and what organization did you work with in Costa Rica or what research? Uh, so yeah, so Costa Rica was an interesting one too. So it was actually in the middle of my internship with Belize. Um, oh. A professor that was like a mentor to me all through undergrad, uh, Dr. McKenzie is just awesome. Uh, he, uh, he basically said, hey, uh, I'm meeting up with my grad students out in Costa Rica. They do work on nesting sea turtles. Uh, if you can get to here, uh, I'll cover your way. Um, and so I basically found like the cheapest flight. I uh, like like busted across Costa Rica with my very limited Spanish and uh, <laughs> showed up and then helped with some uh, of the Arribada surveys with like the mass nesting events. So it was like a very short experience. Um, okay. 
you know, I, I don't I don't really specify too much on it, but I you know was helping survey for sea turtles in Costa Rica, so that's okay. Yeah. Was it with a research station or this was just like a one-off? Oh, it was. They, they partnered with some research station and I'm honestly forgetting everything because that whole trip, I I was just so tired. I was so <laughs> tired because it was like, it was like I got to the, I got to the site and then it was immediately, okay, we're doing a night survey. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm staying up all night looking for turtles. And then it was the next day again. And then I think like two or three days later I left. So it was just like this whole uh, whirlwind. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um. Well, so you say so what I was asking was mm-hmm. Panama, Costa Rica for a little bit doing sea turtles and Belize. And when do you think it's appropriate to pay for these things versus like, um, you know, going to volunteer and getting experience? Um, what how do you find that balance, that trade off when you when people advise, like, should I pay for this trees internship? Should I pay for this? What do you say? Yeah, so I always say first, um, look locally first. Um, yeah. Like, you know, we, we've talked about, like, all my experience, like, abroad, but I also did a lot of stuff locally. Um, you know, I did research projects with Houston Audubon in the middle of the park there. There was an hour drive from me. I did a lot of stuff in the surrounding area. I was always volunteering with local education institutions. It's, you know, it's, yes, of course, the tropics are a big appeal, but that's also a lot of money. Um you know, it's because uh, it's all these stations are kind of locked up in this awful um, kind of like damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. So the uh, I mean, full disclosure, the um, oh, no, I actually don't even remember the price. Um, I, I paid for my first Belize internship. Uh, they they invited me back the next year to like lead interns for six months. And that was like a paid gig. So it was nice. But I didn't pay for my internship. I was I had a program that paid for it. Um, so it was the Applied Biodiversity Conservation Scholars Program. I might have mixed up words there. Um, okay. It was through a and um, I think there's a few other campuses that have it as well. And they basically paid for $1,000 for me to do a research project of my own and then $4,000 for an internship. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's an awesome program. And it was um, also one of the most underutilized programs at university. Basically, everyone who applied got in because barely anyone applied. It was so stupid. Um, like... It's like free money and you get to do an internship that's funded. Um, and you get to travel to an amazing place that yeah, yeah. you can yeah. locally. That's exactly. It, it was awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I looked for one in Belize um, and found trees, which was just like perfect fit for me and everything. Um, really love what they're doing, too. So it was just like really I, I got really lucky. But um, in terms of like paying for it, I would say never pay out of pocket, like like never. Um, like I, I've always been super broke and like, even those Belize trips, like, yes, I did not pay for my internship. I literally left the country with $5 in my bank account. Um, like, yeah, yeah. Like I went full broke on this uh, experience and that was like my personal sacrifice. I knew what I wanted to do. Like that was my decision. Um, and then, you know, the next year when I came back, I basically did the same thing, but then I was broke going into it. But um, I wasn't paying for food or rent or, you know, anything like that while I was staying there. So basically it's six months of it was just like six months of not worrying about money, which was so oh, my mental state was just amazing. And then I got a little um, it was. Yeah. So then they paid me at the end, which was totally, you know, didn't it was fine. It worked for me. Uh, then I went to grad school and immediately like <laughs> basically spent all the money in like the first two months of just moving and 
you know, getting started in school. So it's just, yeah, I've survive again. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I, I would never say pay for anything, I guess, to like kind of answer questions. It's just uh, these these research stations are in this really awful thing of it costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to host an intern. And that's something that isn't often talked about. It's like, um, you know, I'm going to say this with a big caveat, a big asterisk, because there are very predatory stations out there. Um, but uh, I, I know with trees, they told me that they've lost money on basically every intern. Um, just in terms of food costs, just in terms of one of them breaks an equipment, which is so likely when you're working with interns who don't often have great experience and you're working in crap conditions, you know, it's, it happens. So they, they do lose money on it, but then it's like, how do you, how do you actually have interns? How do you actually get people in if you lose thousands of dollars by hosting them? So it's this awful, like, you know, and, and Trees was awesome. You know, they invited Belizean interns all the time to have them there and hosted them there best they could. Having um, locals, yes. <laughs> yeah, locals, their whole thing was like they made money through ecotourism and grants and like all this. So it's like they, they supplemented through other means, um, but it was always just very razor thin. So basically interns were more or less just paying for their presence and Trees was hoping they wouldn't lose money on them. Um, wow. So, yeah, and, and that's what sucks because that's what it is for a lot of places. And then that's not including travel to get out there. That's not including what do you do if you're locked in a lease, um, which was my case when I first went in. So I had to pay two months of extra rent that I wasn't using. Um, mm. Couldn't get out of it. So it's like there's there's a lot more like hidden costs that, that people realize. So that, that that's why I left with $5. You know, it was, you know, I'm not making money. I'm not working at this time. So I... <laughs> That's, that's what people don't see often. So yeah. it's tough. It's tough. So how do we change the system? Like, I mean, it sounds like that intern I, that's so common is not working anymore. Um, so I mean, are there solutions that you can see? I mean, of course, like more funding for science, of course, you know, yeah. that's, that's a big thing. Um, I, I'm always a little bit, you know, I, I understand why small research stations like, like trees or, you know, like a few other ones, why they have to charge, but the, the bigger ones, I've always been confused about why they charge. And they always seem to charge way more than the smaller research stations for hosting mm -hmm. interns. And that's something I've never really understood. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think the ideal, I think the ideology really is like, um, universities will fund the students and that's what they hope for. So if you are looking for this, and like, let's just say you've set your mind on going to Costa Rica for six weeks, blah, 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 blah. Go through university, um, figure out a study abroad thing, figure out a scholarship, um, apply for a grant. Don't, don't, don't save up and work. Um, it's just one, you won't be able to while being a student. And that's, you know, I'm assuming most people are going to be students. If you're not in a university, you don't have that option. Um, do local. I like, there is so much amazing local biodiversity that is always overlooked. And I say local as and local has meant many different things to me. Um, I, 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 the, the tropics have a big like appeal, but there is so much good work. And if you're really just wanting to get experience, that local expertise is sometimes worth way more than the tropical expertise. Mm. Um, it's, it's actually why I specifically did not look for an internship in Costa Rica because everyone and their mother goes to Costa Rica. And I did not want like my experience to just be like, a let me guess, you were just on a study abroad for six weeks and they handheld you through the whole thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. I was there. I was making my own projects. I got my own publications out of it. Like, I, nah, right. like I did my own thing. So. 
Yeah, I think that's that's really good advice. Look for grants, look for scholarships, go through university, go through a community college, whatever you can find, because um, especially if we're going to change this dynamic of um, conservation work being kind of a generally privileged type of field to get um, work in, then, yeah, we can't just have people who are paying, who, who can afford to pay for it. Right. And they get boosted to the top and constantly boosted to the top. So if you have low wealth, if you come from a marginalized background, find those opportunities. And they, I mean, they're they're out there. It just does take some digging and some research to find it. But we can find it and we can change the system. Right. And, and one of the best ones, if you're if you are in a if you are in the United States and you are at a university, look up research experiences for undergraduates, REUs. Those are probably the best ones out there. Um, there are ones that are abroad. Most of them are within the U.S., but they will essentially pay you to go to a research for do, do research. Like I think it's six weeks or ten weeks. It's one of the two. Um, but th- those are awesome. They almost always cover room and board and pay you on top of it. So th- those are by far the best ones that you can do. Uh, they're funded through the National Science Foundation. I always recommend those if someone's reaching out. Um, like th- those, those are ones that like are doing the things right. They're partnering with institutions that are hosting students. Um, but I also, I've, I've been kind of involved on the planning side for those with, uh, with Texas A&M because I work for the Department of Undergraduate Research still. And I just see how much goes into that. It's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, so, those are, those are really great opportunities. If you can get your foot in the door with an REU. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah. Um, for, but it, even if you're not sciencey or you're not, um, like here's, here's my experience with the REUs. I applied for one. I have a, I, an undergrad cause it's for undergrads. I, um, I have a 4.0, like I make good grades. I have a diverse resume. I didn't get into the one I, you know, I just thought like, oh, I'm a shoe in, right? Yep. No, super prideful Laura over here is like, nope, I didn't get my REU. But even if you're not sciencey or you can't get into one, um, you can reach out to research stations and say, hey, I wanna do social media. I wanna do communications with you. I'll help your posts. I'll help um, networking. I'll help with blogs. I'll help. I'll help do that kind of other communication, outreach, marketing, social media, advertising, um, networking side, because a lot of times these research stations, these nonprofits don't have enough time to commit to doing that well. So any little bit of advice, they might be willing to barter with you is what I'm right. saying. So you could you could help them out and they could help you out and give you a place yeah. to stay or something like that. Yeah. So I've seen yeah. that, that model yeah. work. A lot of them have work studies. Um, like I, I think even trees has like we work maybe is the one. I don't remember the name of the thing, but it's like an, an app that you can like work and stay at a place. Oh, cool! Oh, yeah, that's cool. Here or something. It's it's something like that. I I know they go through it, and it's most people are working on the farm because they have a sustainable farm that they're working on. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, like like that is a really great way. You know, I've been, I've been offered to do that as well. Um, like do social media for this place, and they'll just cover my room and board. Um. Or, but yeah, you always got you always got to kind of look at the fine print sometimes because I've been offered that before and it's like we'll wa- we'll waive our uh, internship fee and I was like okay cool but then it's like but I'm still paying room and board and so I was like wait but how does that help so I'm paying to stay there and work for y'all then um, like, this sounds like grad school I don't want to do it um, so yeah it's 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 you know it's station by station but I mean those those are awesome like they they. They do work. I mean, even if you can get it reduced, that that's the thing. Um, yeah, every yeah, little bit helps. So you were so you were there as an intern for three months. Then you come came back to the states, and yep. then went back to Belize, and yep. kind of 
um, oversaw other interns. Tell me about that experience. What was that like? Yeah, so that was that was super fun because I, I I came back from Belize the first time and I had to finish up my degree and it was just basically like it felt like being in the states just knowing I'm going to come right back uh, <laughs> to Belize. So I I went back and my whole job was to oversee all of the interns, um, specifically the herpetology interns. So people were working with stuff like I do, but I would occasionally help out the interns because they had people working on bats or birds or insects or whatever. Um, and I, you know, help with social media, do the odd jobs every now and then, no big deal. Um, I loved it. I, I honestly loved working with interns. I still keep in contact with a few of them that just, they're, you know, super cool people. Um, and it was really nice for me to be like, hey, you want to do this research project? Let me help you out. Um, my, my whole mm-hmm. philosophy with it is like, hey, there are these research projects the station is doing. We need to track turtles. We need to check camera traps. We need to help misnet for bats. Um, I want you all to work on those as much as you want. If you're specific for herps, you're doing the turtles. You know, that's just a lot of work no matter what. But was, the zipline, was the zipline still up yeah, when you were there? <laughs> it's, it's always been in various states of disarray when I go back, but it's, it's still there as far as I'm aware. Um, <laughs> but I always said like, hey, I want to help you develop your own projects. I want to do your own thing. Um, and we we worked with them. So my I, I have had a really diverse background with research projects, and a lot of it has focused on the design of projects. So oh, cool. helping interns was awesome. We actually um, we actually developed a sort of a new cover trap style for arboreals. Um, this intern I had, Ollie, was just like, we were kind of like joking around looking at these coconut trees and they have these uh, fibers that come off and they're like kind of sheets. So he actually, uh, we were talking about it and we, he ended up making a sheet of this, like a big sheet that we wrapped around a tree um, and it stayed moist underneath and we would check it every day for uh, geckos and stuff. And it actually worked pretty well. We were, we were trying to catch salamanders with it, but we, we kept getting geckos. So it was like, oh, this actually works for catching arboreal stuff really well, which is something that we never knew how to trap before. Um, wow. It was super easy to make and also sustainable goods. So we're not putting plastic out there. If it breaks and falls in the river, who cares? It's coconut husk or whatever. Um, That's That's really cool. Yeah. And I have some footage of it. We didn't get enough data to, you know, publish anything on it, but it's like Mm -hmm. something I definitely want to revisit. Um, I helped them out. We were doing a lot of like tadpole surveys in the middle of the night. We helped design a few surveys. It was just like, I I wanted them to like have that experience. And then it helps me too, because like I'm helping on a project that I don't need to devote all my time to. And then I have someone else who's really going to put in the kind of the legwork and I just help guide them through it. And, um, yeah, I, I really loved interning or uh, being in charge of the interns there. And I also just love the environment there. So it's it was like mm-hmm. a perfect win-win for me. Did you ever encounter interns who were maybe like came down to the rainforest thinking one thing, it was going to be one thing, and they encountered other, you know, something that was totally unexpected um, and or didn't, you know, really understand <laughs> what it's like to be a biologist in the rainforest had this misunderstanding, misrepresentation of the joys of working in the rainforest and the highs and lows. I I think, I think every intern had their own um, realization, right? Uh, Their own thing that was going to, yeah, something that happened with them that made them realize this is very different than I thought. Um, And that could be a good thing or a bad thing. So um, I, you know, when, when I was interning there, there were a few other interns who were, they were, um, I don't know. They, I think they liked the idea of it. One of them liked the idea of it. Um, yeah. And you could just tell he, he loved the machete, but did, we were scared of him with that. He should not have held that thing. Um, it was terrifying how he used it. 
Um, like, you know, you'd be walking and all of a sudden he, he, he would be like swiping down branches when he's in the back of the line. It's like, bro, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So, um, he was very green and just, you know, in terms of that, but yeah. then we had other ones who were just like, they, they, they kind of had this period of realizing that it's, um, it's dirty. It's, it's nasty work. It's, it's like kind of grueling and like really hard. But then after about a week, they ended up loving that. It's just like, Oh my gosh, this feels so good to take a cold shower at the end of the day. <laughs> and then the food is amazing. So it's like, they all had their own little reckonings and, you know, uh, I mean, of course, like me too, like I already had experience being in there, but it was, um, this was the first time that there was my first time doing it long term. So I definitely had some just like, some like I, I don't know some reprogrammings um of like what is what is it like going day in day out and actually needing to like if i'm doing a survey i need to actually actively plan for rest the next day because i am so tired from this or just this like constant um it's raining so do we have to should we do this re, uh this survey because it might be dangerous uh what's going on realizing that there's a lot more dangers and I'm having to like relearn all the stuff that's out there. Uh, yeah. like, especially with the snakes trying to figure out from a distance, which one is venomous, which one is not, uh, trying to Hopefully you learned a lot since your Panama experience. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I learned a lot more. Um, which was, you know, cause I mean out there, you don't really have to worry. Like they have coral snakes. I, I didn't see them too often, but you really had to worry about like fur lances. Those were the worst things that were out there. The, you know, big, scary vipers that, yeah, you know, or I guess now they're Terciopello there or whatever. I don't, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. They've had a species split between Central America and South America. A while oh, ago. really? Yeah, yeah. So now Fertilance is supposed to be, uh, depending on who you ask, they're supposed to be the ones in South America. Terciopello, I think that's how you pronounce it. Probably wrong. That's Central America. And then there's also one that I'm forgetting that's on an island somewhere off of Central America. But okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those were the only ones that I really actively had to kind of look out for and mm -hmm. be mindful of um because they're they're bold they're very very bold snakes so mm -hmm. yeah wow yeah. Did, how was the um dynamic between like native people and <laughs> like indigenous people and just like did they seem to mind that you were there did they seem to mind that the station was owned by like a white Westerner. <laughs> you know, how, how did, how did those dynamics play out? Were there, were they employed? Um, yeah. So ba I mean, not basically everyone that was employed there um, was Belizean. Um, and awesome. I, I think that the, the station owners are, I think they're just doing like the best case example of like how to, because they're, they're both from Canada. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I know Vanessa has full Belizean citizenship. She actively stays there quite a bit. Um, and they are really, really big about like actually integrating the local culture quite a bit. Um, so I've, you know, they, I, I think I mentioned they, they always have Belizean students that are there. They actively go to the schools, they invite people over. They, it's, it's like, they, they, they just, they're, they're not acting like people who know better. And it's, it's pretty obvious that they, they know that it's, yeah. um, the people that have there are just incredible. So it's, I think they were doing a really good job 
Um, now that being said, some of the interns, you, you could tell they were having that little bit of like that, that parachute science kind of mindset of like, I come from a Western university up in, up in Quebec or whatever. Uh, so I know pretty well. And it's like, no, you do not. Yeah. <laughs> you, you do not, man. Like, like I was like, listen to the guy, listen to the guy who lives here. Um, <laughs> he, he, he knows the animals here. Like just because like the way he describes them is different than your textbooks doesn't make him wrong. Like right. he, it's just a different way of being around the animals. And it's like, I, I would always like consult with them. I was like, Hey, you know, I really want to find this species of frog. Do you have any insight? And it would always be like, yeah, like right after rains or something. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's stuff that you really can't find in textbooks too easily. He would always say like, Oh, twilight, or he would know a spot. It's just like, you know, it's just understanding that he knows stuff. <laughs> like he knows way more than me. You know? Yeah. Okay. And just that respect, the listening to the going into a place that's not our own, not our home, not our land, right. and um, honoring it and valuing it and not claiming we know what's best and we know what's right. And that's a right. huge, it's a, it's a pet peeve, but it's also like, we can, I don't know, we can talk about it all day long, but how do you actually do that? Right. And, and I mean, it's like, I think the biggest thing though, is just, yes, you're there, you're doing biology work or you're, you're doing some other work or whatever. Um, I spent a lot of the time trying to learn the culture that was there. Um, just, just like understanding what's going on. Cause I mean, especially like in Belize, it's, it's just like this fascinating melting pot of like, it's this Scarafuna culture mixed with like this Belizean Creole with like Mayan with like, you know, old Caribbean slave trade. And it's all just sort of mixed together. And it's just so fascinating. And like, you know, they were a British colony up until like somewhat, somewhat recently. Um, yeah. yeah, like, so it's just like this, they, they have a rich history and it's just understanding that everyone there is, has their own, I guess, like history in the same way that kind of America has like, you have the Italian suburbs and then you have the, you know, like the Asian market and stuff. And like, you know, like I live in Claremont in San Diego, like that's a very Asian predominated uh, community. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's very much the same way in other countries. And it just takes a little bit of time to kind of understand it and respect it and understand what's going on. And, you know, I would always ask the Belizean students like, well, why are you doing this? Like why, why I remember one, it was, um, they, they like to paint the trees and the rocks white. So like, I noticed that at all the parks, um, they were painting the trees like up to like three foot or so. And they were like, Oh, it just looks nice. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I, you know, that, that's what they told me. I was like, cool. Okay. I don't have anything else. Like, okay. I was just wondering, you know, <laughs> like the way it looks yeah, yeah like, i was like maybe there's some deeper meaning or not we just like it yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's cool yeah going in and and with an open mind and an open heart and right. an open attitude i think that's we our, our attitudes just need to change a little yeah. bit yeah yeah yeah, I mean, you'll still see this in discussions. Like, unfortunately, like, it's super common to hear discussions about um, typically Westerners and you start talking about another country. Um, and, like, I mean, this is probably a very niche example. But um, I, I did this post a while back where I was talking about this one species of lizard. Um, I think it's Lanthanotus borneensis. The, it's this earless monitor lizard in Borneo. It's just a super cool lizard. But it's been, it's been uh, illegally trafficked quite a bit. And there's 
a lot of evidence that there's several zoos that are very complicit in the trafficking. You know, it's there's unfortunately some really bad zoos out there in the world. Um, but, oh, but yeah. you know, I was like, okay, cool. You know, just talking about this, like I was referencing this paper of like, there's like very well-known records that um, their society's protected. They've never been exported from the country, yet they're in the pet trade and they're in zoos. So it's like, what's going on? And I was like amazed. I was amazed at the comments and DMs I got from people saying like, well, it's better in our hands than in this country that is having deforestation. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, you're better in an aquarium in the US where like we've destroyed most of our forests already. Uh And it's like, it's like, it's all for conservation. It's like not for conservation, man. You're selling them at 10 grand a pop. Don't tell me it's for conservation. Like at least, at least just say it's for profit, you know? Um, But it was like so many of them saying they know better than these people in Borneo. And I was like, if you want to help the species, why not support the people who live there and like the, the, yes. the organizations in the universities that are actively working to save the lizard? And it's like, oh, my God. The point of having a conservation focused like zoo program, like a species survival plan, is so we can then reintroduce them right. <laughs> to the local landscapes and rehabilitate right. the ecosystems where yeah. they belong. So exactly. no, they're not better in our zoos and aquariums. No, exactly. But in, in like, and it was like, yeah, okay, great. If you were breeding them and they have bred them in captivity in zoos, right? Um, okay. But they don't go back to the wild. They get sold to another zoo or to a private collector was a lot of the cases mm. too. And it was just like, oh my God. Like, so it's like, you're just seeing this and it's very blatantly wrong. Um, they're blatantly being smuggled out. You know, it's it's like, like there, there were a few zoos mm. that received the animals from smuggling operations that were busted. So like, you know, right. some guy has them, you know, shoved down his pants going through an airport. Um, and I was like, okay, that makes gotcha. more sense to me. That makes more sense why that goes into a zoo. But then you're reading all these things and so many of them are bought from a private collector. And it's like, okay, they've never been legally exported. How does a private collector get them? They're right. smuggled. Like it, it does, it's not difficult. So then that money's going to the private collector to then to, smuggle. To keep poaching and, you know, it's like, oh my God. Um, and, but, but yeah, I was just, I was just like kind of disgusted with the comments because to me, it's a very clear cut thing. And it's like, you know, you can argue about like, are they good in captivity? Yes. Uh, you know, whatever that, that's a whole separate argument. Is, is it fine to have things in captivity for breeding purposes? Whatever. Fine. But then it was how many of them were saying they're better in our hands than mm. in, you know, uh, the Bornean country. And it's just like, what, what? Mm. No. Like, that's just, you know, that, like that is colonialism and, you know, just like to a T it's like, we think we're better for no intrinsic property other than we are. We like that makes no sense. Like you've never been there. Like what? Yeah. Dylan, I really appreciate your point of view and your perspective. Like (laughs) (laughs) seriously, I've listened, like I've, I mean, you're super popular on Instagram. I've listened to your podcasts. I've followed all the stuff you do and you really get into like, the nuances and the complicated um, what if scenarios in conservation. It's not just like a one answer is right all the time, but you explore all sides of the problem. And that that is something that I don't think a lot of people do. So like, no. it's either this is always right or this is always wrong. Yeah, and so that's actually um, what started me on science communication. Like yeah. um, when I first started, my account name was Contemporary Conservationist. 
Yeah. Um, and like I, I dropped the conservationist term for multiple reasons that are neither here nor there, but I, I was just tired of this whole like, it's a very dogmatic approach. It felt like all the conservation material I was hearing and reading about was from like the 1970s. And it's like, yo, it's it's 2020 or, you know, 20, 2018, 2017 when I started. And it's like, we need to update this. And these situations are so much murkier. And it just always felt like people were leading with their heart and not their brain. And that was always such a problem because our hearts are easily muddled. Like our emotions are wild. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. And it's like, look, I'm, I'm a scientist. Like we need to look at the problem from all sides. And then I was very tired of seeing these people preaching conservation specifically on Instagram that they would actively say like, look, I'm going to ignore the nuance. And it's like, like I would see that on posts. And then every time someone would hop into my DMs and the stuff people have called me in my DMs for having an opinion is wild. Um, wow. But, but yeah. And then I would like just bring out a single point. It's like, look, I hear what you're saying, but here's why I believe all this stuff. Here's the evidence. Here's this. And I'm like, I didn't think about it that far. And it's like, well, don't we're, you're policing this. You're policing how people view opinions. Um, this was specifically about my opinion on geotagging. I don't think we should geotag places. Um, like, you know, or at least do it, um, broad instead of very pinpoint you know say this is where i went and then it's it's just been shown again and again that people flock to them they follow influences mm -hmm. they go there they destroy the land um it, it just it keeps happening and then i said i don't support geotagging um for these reasons for like very specific things and then i had like two people in my dms call me a white supremacist and i'm like what yeah like i was like what like like i was like what <laughs> like i was so confused and i i i was like how can you explain this to me? And they linked to like one person who said it was, and it's like, you know, like that, that's their opinion, but it's like, like, what are your, it was just like wild to me. Wait, wait, okay. Go back. So for those of you who might not be aware, geotagging is like, if you're on a, an app like eBird or iNaturalist and you find a rare species and then you can pinpoint it, but they have kind of gotten away from that. So that, especially in herps, um, yeah. reptiles, amphibians that don't move a lot, it, that it prevents that animal from being found as easily, especially if it's right. rare. So, so geo, so you do not support geotagging, which is a fair assessment. Mm -hmm. And you're called a white supremacist because why? Yeah. So it was like it was like there's like there's like four steps to get to there, I guess. So the first one is the 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 problem of gatekeeping, which is totally a problem. So they they were saying yeah. not geotagging is gatekeeping, like you're keeping nature for yourself and not showing it to other people. And it's okay. like, but like. The, the, the issue is that most of the people who say they are against geotagging almost always still tag the general location or they tag like the state. Like almost everyone I've talked to says, yeah, if I go to a national park or a protected area, I don't tag the individual location where I found this animal, which is geotagging. Mm -hmm. And they instead tag the park headquarters. They tag the entrance. They tag the park as a whole. Um, and then that was still seen as gatekeeping to people. And it's like, okay, but like, I, I'm sorry, but also like, like, this is like, maybe like the, like my, my opinion on this, we did not have geotags, like geotags are new. This is a brand new thing. Like growing up, I did not follow geotags to find nature. I just looked in a book. I just Googled it. I just went on Google maps, looked for green and went there. Like there needs to be some love of exploration and adventure. And right. instead, what we're seeing is so many people that only want to go to a location if they know it's good and it's been personally vetted by someone who has an Instagram following. 
And so, but if you just look into the, the, the issues with this, like, I think most wildlife photographers understand this, why you don't give specific locations, because I've had it before where I've posted that I found this animal or whatever, you know, I flipped a log, put it on a naturalist, come back two days later, and the site is destroyed. There's logs thrown mm -hmm. everywhere. And so it's like, that's why I don't geotech, because I keep showing again and again and again that it shouldn't be done, you know. And I just think that, like, the, it, it was really big, like, maybe two years ago, like, the anti-geotagging stuff. And I think a lot of people have kind of been like, uh, wait a second, maybe we need to take a step back and realize that there are major issues with tagging specific locations. Yeah. Like, the the famous example is, like, you, uh, Horseshoe Bend up and I think that's in Page, and I forget if it's in Arizona or Utah, but it's along the border. Um, that's the one where it was, like, one photographer, every, everyone has seen a picture of Horseshoe Bend. Uh, it's it's that stereotypical like that desert American Southwest landscape with the river that goes around the rock formation forming a horseshoe. Okay. Um, that was not a tourist attraction. That mm -hmm. was someone found it, took a picture, put it up on Instagram, geotagged it. And there's actually great aerial maps showing the destruction of the surrounding area as people went there because mm -hmm. there wasn't infrastructure for it. There was no parking lots. There was nothing for it. Mm -hmm. um, you often see, and actually, actually, the post, oh, this this is perfect. The post that I was called, you know, through this, like, very thing of white supremacy um, was because I refused to geotag a petroglyph site that um, specifically had no signs leading up to it. I found it basically by accident. Um, <laughs> like, you have to go through a ghost town, drive up a dirt road. It's, it's, like, half of the area is blocked off, and I didn't geotag it. The whole post is like, I don't geotag, because on this, like, this indigenous artwork that's from uh, it's three cultures over 10,000 years apart um, in Utah and people had drawn like penises on it. And I'm like, yeah, this is why I don't geotag. And someone was like, white supremacy. I'm like, oh my oh. God. Like, <laughs> We've got a concert. like, like let, let's, let's actually see what's going on here. You know? And, but there was, yeah, it was that, it was that lack of, they, they, they read someone's thing who didn't have that understanding of nuance. They, they took it as gatekeeping and there's an argument to be made there. There's something to be said there, but I think a lot of people don't understand the people who were very pro geotagging don't actually know what geotagging specifically is. And that was a big issue. Um, so it's like, yeah, like, I mean, and that's the deal. Like, you know, no, no matter what you do in life, you know, 49% uh, of people are going to hate what you do. So, you know, I just focus on the 51% and like my, my mental health is way better. I think that's a really good way to look at it because I'm sure you get so much hate on social media and I've just started to like get a little bit of the hate and I'm like, Oh, I don't know how to handle this. Like it's I want so everyone much. to like me and I want to make everyone happy. And that made things even worse. And Ooh, it's such a mess. So how do you handle social media hate like when you get called that <laughs> oh yeah what, what do you do i mean it depends massively on where the hate's coming from my first step is always like listen to what they're saying like actually listen to that um but i will say majority of the hate that i've been getting now has been from um anti-vaxxers uh, massive misinformationists and like I don't know how else to say it, but like internet libertarians, like, like those are the people that are just always in my comments saying just whack stuff. Um, what kind of, I mean, so the, the, the most recent one, um, I, I made a, I made a video about like grad students work on average 60 hours a week. Um, I get paid a thousand dollars a month to be a grad student, which is criminal in San Diego. So you extrapolate out, I make $5 an hour. Right. You know, and like, that's what it was like, just very point of blank. And then it's like, you know, 
And so this guy just started saying all this stuff about like, you need to research the thing before you go into the job market. And I'm like, yo, man, like what, what, what they're failing to realize is that like I'm in grad school because this is the only option I really have to like advance my career to actually like do it. And it's criminal that these institutions are doing this. Like that's the issue. Like it needs to change because we have all these people like I'm in a situation where like I've been struggling. Like I live with six other people. I've always had to work two or three extra jobs. Like I'm trying hard to make it work and I still have to go into debt to make it work. So if there's someone else who can't do that, like they have a kid, they are, they do not have savings from a trip in Belize. They, you know, it's like, there's so many other factors. It needs to change to get more people into science. They were not having that. They were just pissed that I like went into this and like, it was just going, it was like, what dude, like, I want it to change. Like you can't just not expect it to change and things get better. And it's like the free market, like, okay. Yeah. But like, there's so many people that are going to go into grad school and get into this crappy situation. I want it to be better for the people after me. Like, Mm. but also like being real, like this is difficult. Like I've seen people drop out because they could not afford it. They realize that it's the stress is insane. So I'm always real about it. Um, yeah, because you're in it. You're like, it's. I, I want it to change, yet I am in it. I can't change it because I'm not at the top of the food chain here, but I can change it from the bottom up. I can make people aware. I can um, post about it. I can just share all these stories of what I'm struggling with and why it's a problem. And maybe this will generate the conversations like we're having now, and that will change the higher ups, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. and so basically it... Um... When it's stuff like that, which, like, admittedly, their their take is an opinion, right? Like, it's not necessarily misinformation. It's, it's like, an opinion. Um, most of the time, I ignore it. Um, I, you know, assume best situations or best um, assume they're, you know, speaking nicely. Or assume the best something. of them. Yeah, you know, and then listen to what they're saying. If I disagree, most of the time, I ignore it. Because um, usually on my posts, they're, like, buried in, like, 100 comments or whatever. So I'm, like, whatever. But uh, if they keep going or if someone starts to reply, most of the time I just end up trolling them and just like messing, like joking. So like, I don't know, like with this last guy, I was just like, you know, man, you would like communism. And I was just like goofing with him. I was like, I knew he'd hate it. So I was just goofing and like just saying all this stuff. And then someone else joined in and it was just great. I was like, hi, you can take him. <laughs> so, you know, but when, when it's like actual misinformation, which I've gotten every time I speak about vaccines, um, anytime I mention it, which like... Admittedly, that's why I don't post about it near as much because it is exhausting to deal with yeah. misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, those ones, I do take the time to actually say, like, here's the issues with your argument. Um, it takes a lot mm-hmm. of time and a lot of mental, and I don't think I get much benefits from doing it. But I just don't... I, I don't believe in deleting comments. I just don't like that. I'm like, that just feeds into them. They're thinking that I'm suppressing their truth, even though their truth mm-hmm. is incorrect. Um, and then if I'm providing information then at least someone who doesn't know or is like still on the fence sees that information and can kind of see because usually once you start poking holes, you start, they start to unravel and you see just how absolutely insane their arguments get. You know, I had someone, they sent me their source. Um, the, the website was garbaggio. Like it's literally called garbage and they were selling all of this, like, hyper-politicized propaganda material. Like, it's just, like, there's no way of putting it. It's, like, if you go on there, they'll have, like, two things, like, yeah, vaccines don't work, which, like, they do. Um, But then all this material that is, like, just they're trying to make a quick buck off of you. So yeah, I I always ask for sources, and I just say, give me a source. Like, every time I say, give me a source, and they don't. Yeah. So. Uh, That is 
again, I love, I have a love-hate relationship with social media because it is so the um, clickbait. You just want to, you know, you just need to grab people's attention. And with that, there's no room for black and white and like gray. It's just all one side or the other. Love, like hate it or love it. And that's a really big problem in social media. So again, I commend you for A, putting out the dialogue and explaining carefully and thoughtfully because it does help science. You're right. It could benefit one or two people who might see it. And that's, that's really, it's about that connection that you can bring about science and then having those, those nuances. Yeah. And and if there's like a good discussion in the comments, like someone brings up a really great counterpoint to what I'm saying, I usually pin their comment and like reply so that people first see it. Like it's like, yeah, Hey, boom, there we go. That's the nuance. And that's what I wanted from the very beginning. I want a discussion and, I, I've tried in various ways to make discussions happen on Instagram. They're not great, um, but they're slowly becoming, you know, it's it's cultivating the following, making them feel comfortable and having that discussion. And now there's like a few people that are almost always going to have that discussion with me. So, yeah, that's yeah. cool. What about someone who, um, who you um, like, not an anti-vaxxer, not anti-science person, but someone who's a biologist who might disagree with something that you're saying and calls you out on it or, or like I've had an instant where um, someone blocked me and I'm like, I really want to like connect with you and right. like have this dialogue, but I can't if you're blocking me. So yeah, how yeah, do we, yeah. I don't know, like if someone calls you out and you're like, I want to be your friend, I want to engage in this conversation, but we can't seem to see eye to eye. How do you handle right. that? And I'm saying this uh, for also just me personally because yeah, I'm yeah. in a situation I don't know what to do. I mean, <laughs> if they're being respectful, I'm respectful back. That, that I mean, yeah. well, at the end of the day, if they're disagreeing disrespectfully, but I have gotten people that do not like it. And I'm usually pretty direct with people, especially on social media. I don't like to just beat around the bush. Um, like I had this, oh my God, this is perfect. Perfect example. Um, so I had this one guy, he... Um, what was it? We I had a post about frogs, and it was about the um, some frogs can like withstand frozen temperatures for a long time. Basically, they have like kind of like an antifreeze compound. Um, yeah, it's so cool. Thing. Yeah, it's super cool stuff. And this guy just like went into it. It's like he was like questioning everything that I said in the post, like absolutely questioning it. And then I said sources on slide two that talks about it. And then he like misquoted it and said he could, he only read the abstract. And I was like, Hey man, like one, you misquoted it. You didn't read it. I would caution. Like, I was just like very direct. I was like, I would caution discounting the science when you didn't read it. You know, like I was like, I can't believe I'm having to say this, but like, you know, the source is there. You can get to it. Do this. Blah, 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 blah. He was so insulted. He, oh my God. He sent this long DM to me uh, of like, you should not be this disrespectful to a scientist and assume they're an idiot. I'm an Oxford uh, PhD student. And I was like, he was like, I couldn't get access to the paper. I was like, that's a lie. That's a lie. If you're at Oxford, you have access to the paper. Like, I tried three different products. I was like, then why are you doubting it? Like, like, it's like, it's like, that's like, that's, and that's unfortunately a very big problem with in academic circles of these like hoity toity people who think they're like above the world and think they're so smart because they're in a PhD program. And I'm like, I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you're in Oxford or you're at, you know, Occidental Community College or something like that. I don't care. Like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Congratulations. Your family has money and you're white. I don't care. Like, what? Um, and it's like, 
And so, and then, so I, I ignored it because I'm like, there's nothing fruitful. And he was like, send me an email if you want to have a good thing. And I was like, no, bro, because like, you're, you know, I'm not going to talk to someone who's just, you know, it, it just, it just doesn't do anything good to act like that. So I usually let people make a fool of themselves. That That's how I always handle it. And they usually, they usually do. So, um, people don't like being direct. People don't like being called out. It's like, read the source, read the material. That's on slide two. That's right there. Like people don't like that. You know, like I totally, you know, told him to read the syllabus basically. and He got offended. So it's like, what are you going to do? Um, yeah, I kind of just like laugh and then send it to people. I'm like, look at this fool. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, uh, that's good. Um, so you're in your you're in your master's program, yep. right? Yep. Okay. How is that going? I mean, you said you get paid a thousand dollars a month for working sixty hours a week, which is five dollars an hour. I can only imagine the stress you must be under living with you said five other people, six uh, other people. Normally it's six. Um, now it's five. So like, eh, you know, <laughs> yeah. We, you're we, like, we, oh, the rent went up. Cool. <laughs> basically, yeah, we we reworked rent to where it's now one less person because it's way less stress. And the room that we was renting was not really a room that people want to live in. So it was just like this, like really, you know, you get desperate people, desperate circumstances, never a good thing. Um, but yeah, yeah. so it, it, it's been stressful. Um, like it's, uh, I will say that like, you know, if anyone here is listening and wanting to go to grad school and everything, I am probably in one of the worst schools that in terms of valuing their students. And I have no doubts about that. We are consistently like the lowest paid and we live in San Diego. Um, the school doesn't care. It's San Diego State University. I don't care. They don't care about me. I'm not going to care about them. All the people here are awesome. All the professors, the other grad students, incredible, right? It's just the upper admin sucks. Absolutely. That's interesting that all the people are awesome because usually if you're in a situation financially, that kind of sucks. Like yep. you get high turnover, people leave, they're disgruntled. Right. So why do you yeah. think that is? Um, I, I probably a lot of the draw is that it's in San Diego, which is an awesome place to live. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm not sure, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's, um, they you know, other, other universities pay closer to double. Um, honestly, wow. so it's like my, I, you know, I make, I think it's like just under 14 K annually. Um, and then I'm contractually not allowed to work a second job. Um, <laughs> your face. Yeah. Like, yeah. Average rent in San Diego is 1800. You pay me a thousand. How does this work? It's like, Oh, don't worry. We're going to get y'all grad student housing. Guess what? We can't afford the grad student housing. It's literally more than our monthly check. No. <laughs> yes. They just unleashed it. And it's like living with two other people and it's like 1200 a month or something. And it's like, what? Come on guys. Like have some forethought. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, do you it's, think? Do you think the way of the future? Like, I'm just like, okay, this is here's my train of thought right now because that is insane. Yeah. Um, and then I'm like, well, we do this, we put up with it because I have a master's, I got a master's, but I also didn't have to pay for it. Like, I I was a TA, which was so helpful. Um, first of all, are oh, you a TA? Do you have I, an RA or anything? I am a TA. Uh, my tuition is not covered, by the way. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? Why? Yeah, they don't cover my tuition. That's horrible. Why are you there doing get out? <laughs> I was just in it, and then it was, like, too late to leave, and then the pandemic happened, and I'm like, well, guess I'm staying. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a, 
terrible situation. So I, I'm in a much better situation personally now. Um, like I did get a few grants and scholarships. I got a I got a big one from the uni- from the university. But it's like that you know they use that as like a we'll help you out. It's like okay this this scholarship goes out to two people every year in my department. There's like forty of us. Like you know I know other people who lived in their cars. Actually my first year here I my first year and a half living in San Diego I slept on a yoga mat. Like I didn't have a bed until like somewhat recently. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. just like. Yeah, they, they keep you in poverty conditions, and it's like, you know, it's, it's this thing of, like, I'm realizing that I can't even look for other opportunities or do other opportunities because it's like, what uh, what do I do? Like, I, it's it's just, like, in a really crappy situation, so, especially during the pandemic, it's like, how could I even find another job if I wanted to, so. So my thought, is, as you're saying this, is like, okay, a lot of people... Uh, I don't know how old you are. I'm in my early, almost mid thirties, but like a lot of people our age are like not getting, de- not getting PhDs because we we're sick of academia. We're sick yeah. of like um, white ivory tower idea and mentality. So do you think even with master's degrees that that will kind of go out the window, like fewer and fewer people will get master's because it can be so expensive that we, and we can, you can get, you can accumulate knowledge now through different means and find, um, you don't need all those, those letters after your name anymore. You, you can get a following on this, on your phone, yeah. on social media. I'm, I'm just kind of talking on my butt, but. Yeah, <laughs> yes and no. So like the problem with masters too, is like they pay you less. There's usually less scholarship opportunities and they, you know, but it's like, it's an awful situation because when I was applying for PhDs originally, everyone that I wanted to apply for said, get a master's first, which is fair. And like, I agree with that in terms of like, not the money and stuff, but getting experience. Like me looking at like almost post-masters versus me at undergrad, totally different in terms of how I do research and everything. So I, I totally agree with that advice. Get a master's first because one, it's shorter and you're going to figure out how much BS academia is. Uh, and then you'll like actually determine, do you want to do this? And then you can make that next six year commitment or whatever. Um, but I, I want it to change, but this is stuff that's like, it seems that everyone's in the same boat. It's, it's like a really crappy boat to be in and everyone's kind of struggling through it. And also just understanding that it's like, you're here for like two or three years and then you leave. Like it's, it's really hard to one realize how broken it is when you're here and then start working on changing it. Like that's yeah. very difficult, you know. Um, you know, it's like we have a union, but it's like been very difficult to get going. It's actually not as well established as you would think, given how crappy the conditions are here, which is probably why. Um, they did give us a slight pay raise recently, but it was like, I mean, it's it's so stupid. It's like, yes, it's a pay raise, but they they gave us back pay, you know, for like the the contract because it was we're in the middle of the contract, or whatever. And, like, back pay with our new raise ended up being, like, 100 bucks over, like, several months of work. And I'm like, that's not... <laughs> Come on. <laughs> like, Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> you care, you know, so... I think there is so much money in the world. And it's just, in like, I'm really at the point of wanting to, like, just burn down capitalism a little bit. <laughs> like... Uh, yeah, yeah, I've been getting because, pretty radicalized lately. <laughs> like, no wonder we're all turning super liberal. Like, I'm just yeah. like, when you look at the state of the world, I've seen so many memes that are like, oh, um, my parents told me that I would get something to cry over, but I didn't know that they meant like a destroyed planet and housing that's too um, pricey, like uh, to raise right. a family. And like, I didn't know what that, that's what they meant. God. So like, it's just, it's 
horrible for people oh, yeah. our age to grow up in these conditions where all the money is going to generally upper oh, class yeah. white men who have positions of power. Right, like right. think about like you're in academia, you're at this university, they can only afford to pay you. They say they can only afford to pay you $1,000 a month, but who like, where's all that tuition money going? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And like, they keep saying, so like, uh, there, there's a professor here who like, I, I probably won't name him just cause I don't know if he wants to be, but like he runs this like awesome blog about how terrible it is here. Um, and actually like calls them out constantly. They're like, we're struggling. Cause they were talking about, uh, well, they, they did, they were talking about, um, giving early retirement to faculty to get them out so they don't got to pay them as much, uh, doing all this stuff, when they've had record enrollments at this university and they had a massive fund from the state. So it's like, where is this money going? A lot of it's going to our president who, um, you know, makes $450,000 a year, gets a free house, gets a car budget, and then they just approved a, uh, a raise at, uh, I think it's either 10 or 15% each year for the next three years. And they gave us a 2% raise or whatever. And I'm like... Oh. <laughs> like it's like i have so much hope for my future you know it's like what come on like i man i was i was talking to my students i was talking to the students i teach huh? and um they, they had this really depressing realization uh they were talking they, one of them was complaining about someone work a, an undergraduate working in the library um just like power tripping or whatever because they could you know just people power trip but then as they were talking, she was like, this guy's making like 16 an hour, blah, 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 blah. And then like, we had this, I was like, wait a second. He works how many hours a week? 20 is max, whatever. I was like, he makes more than me. And I'm like, like, you know, like I'm actively teaching, you know, any, anywhere from 30 to 60 students every year. They cannot do it without like STAs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like, they always just exploit us. Like we don't get paid extra. Like I remember one semester I had to take on an extra section. So I just had to do more teaching for no more pay. Um, mm-hmm. it's like, it just doesn't work out. I know someone who's having to teach all four sections by himself now because we had someone leave. So we took their student. It's just like, not a, it's not sustainable. It's overworked. It's like, you know, and then I'm also trying to just do my research on the side. Like, yeah. how do I do this? Like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So they, they don't pay you to do research. They pay you to teach, which is the same of faculty usually. So, yeah. Yep. It reminds me almost, you were talking about the president and how much they make. It reminds me of like college football. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, What are they called? I can't even think of the name. The coaches, like the head coaches so much. I went to Texas A&M for undergrad. Yeah, he's the highest paid official. (laughs) And then the college students are like, oh, I'm like killing myself, potentially getting super injured, concussions. This will affect my like yeah. health and well-being down the road and I'm getting nothing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but they're amateurs, so they don't deserve anything. Also, mm-hmm. we're going to use your likeness for sponsorship deals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, yeah. Also, if, if you're starving, your coach can't buy you any food because that, that's not allowed. Right. Yeah, <laughs> oh, like, right. oh, yeah. It, it, it's messy from like every angle you look at it, except for the people at the top. Like that's, you know, they, yes. they're rolling in it. People who have money have the power and the control and they will just continue to wield that power and control. And I, yeah, I feel like um, TAs, graduate students, even undergrads are kind of in that, like, you're just the the players. You're just the pawns in this game um, where someone's making a ton of money and you're just the pieces. And that's that's ridiculous. Constantly. You 
you are, but you have so many gifts and talents. Like, I mean, I just want to go through a little bit about your resume because you said you've done like some engineering um, based on the, the uh, oh, zip yeah, line yeah. Thing through the <laughs> rainforest. Like you clearly are smart enough to figure that out. Uh, you have done tons of field work, husbandry and taking care of animals. And now like the conservation side of things, the research aspect, but the statistics are being able to teach, being able to take your knowledge about science and science literacy and package it up and then spit it back out into the world in the way that makes sense and is concise and is awesome and is really funny and, and, and entertaining. So where do you want to go from here? Like when your master's is done, um, what, what are your next steps, next plans, next dreams? Yeah. What do you want to do? So the next steps, um, Basically, once I finish this master's, I'm trying to take a year off and then basically do trying to do content creation full time. Um, I mentioned like a big grant or whatever that I got. It was like uh, it was like a ten thousand dollar grant, which is like doubling my income, which is sounds so depressing. Um, But basically, I just squirreled it all away. Um, I was like, I could change my living situation. I could live nicer. Um, Yeah, decided to squirrel it away. I finished paying off my car um, to get just like one monthly payment off Um, and then basically just try to. Yeah, do content creation because I'm just realizing like there's a lot of forces that are telling me I should do this. Um, like just having good opportunities, a little bit of like a nest egg, a little bit to like live off of to try and buffer it a little bit. You know, worst comes to worst, I'll work a part time job um, and then still do it. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to spend this time working on uh, Learn Adventurously, which is this business that I'm starting up. Um, don't know if I can call it a business yet because I haven't filed paperwork, but I don't care. I'm still proprietorship at this moment. Yeah, sole proprietor is a, is a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Call yourself I was like, business. I was you like I'll do LLC. And then I was like, oh, it's $800 in California to be an LLC. So I'll, I'll be a sole proprietorship for now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, every step at a time, it's like, okay, yeah, just do what you need to do yep. until you need to get to the next step. And then. Right. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, so I've been working a lot. Uh, basically, though, the goal of Learn Adventurously is um, kind of multifaceted. It's, it keeps growing in different ways. Um, at its core, it was started as a way to kind of, at one point, be a brand image, right? Just very directly be a brand image of getting people to go out there and go into nature and learn eventually. Because that's how I always learn. It's like you can read all the books, you can do it. But like actually going out and doing something, that's how you're going to learn. Right. And, and that applies to everything. Like, you know, yes, it applies to going out looking for frogs. You need to look for frogs to learn about frogs or whatever. It also applies to doing code. Like, you know, I'm really good at R. Like, that's something I take pride in. It's because I just play around with it all day. I'm like, let me just try and figure this out. I don't take courses. I don't do this. I just mess around and hope it works. Um. Um, and yeah, and it's like, it sucks. And most of the time I'm failing. Like, most of the time I'm failing. And that's, <laughs> the, that's the point of learning adventurously is you don't know, but the adventure is going to take you somewhere. Um, but it's, it's, it's sort of, um, expanded quite a bit. So, um, there's all these trips that, uh, yes, all these trips that, uh, we're going to do. Like, I'm so excited for all these ones. Well, you say all these and I'm like, I can see where this could go in the future with so yeah, many yeah, yeah. trips. So yeah, I, exactly. there's an optimism in you, even if uh-huh. the trip this summer, whatever, yeah. there's, there's going to be more trips. Right. So. Yeah. Especially like probably more uh, locally based ones because then we don't have to worry about international travel restrictions. <laughs> um, but, um, but also something that I've been working on kind of in the background um, and really trying to, gosh, get going are uh, they're called um, Learn Adventurously Projects. So something I've been a little bit inspired about and that's 
with some work that I'm also doing on the side is this new like web 3.0 environment that's coming up. It's like all based on like the cryptocurrencies, NFTs, um, like currently we're in web 2.0. Web 3.0 is a decentralized internet. So instead of like, it, it, like I, I'm a little bit skeptical. There's <laughs> still a lot that I'm like piecing together. But I'm, I'm looking into it more and I'm realizing that a lot of it agrees with how I see the world of you don't need like a thought leader and then like people below them and then like the, the viewers. It's like I want people to all work on things together. Um, I'm a big proponent of community science and I really hate that a lot of community science is still very, very hierarchical where it's you have the, the, the scientist up top and everyone else is like a junior scientist. They're not treated with the same value. Um, so the, the, the lead, I call them lead, which is just an acronym for learn adventurously, uh, which I realized like two weeks ago and I've been loving that. I was like, lead. oh, wow. okay, oh, yeah, right. It just works. Like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, accidental marketing genius or whatever. Wow. That's um, amazing. Good for you. Yeah. So learn adventurously. Yeah. Well, we've been working on this notion site that, um, I have, so I have a discord and a notion site. Notion is just a note taking platform that I love. Okay. Um, but we're building up a, a website, more or less, that people can pitch and propose projects. We can work on projects together. And then they're all housed underneath this one massive uh, community, this one infrastructure that I'm developing out with a few other people. And so those huh. we have, because um, like there's a lot of projects that I've done in the past that were mainly led by me. And then I would get a core team to go on. Like I, I did a, 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 a conference a while back. I put on a virtual ecology and evolution conference at the start mm -hmm. of the pandemic, VCon. Um, I want to bring it back, but actually make it one of these projects. Um, also, just doing research projects that aren't, like, like so many research projects, they require, like, years of effort. They require, like, so much of, so much thought, so much planning, and often they're at the whims of the, uh, of the funding source. They're at the whims of the PI. They're at the whims of this. So I've been toying around with, like, hey, I want anyone to be able to pitch a research project, and we're going to do it. And I would prefer them to actually be very simple. Honestly, like have that very basic research question. Um, so for example, one of the ones that I put up there that I worked on for this, um, I was doing this course about data analysis through Coursera and they needed a capstone project. And I was like, cool. So I just did a simple one of, is the United States adequately protecting its amphibian diversity? So basic way of doing this is take all the range maps of the amphibians, take all the range maps of protected areas in the United States, which are all free and public access, so anyone can get it, and overlap and see what trends we can find. So that's a project that's up on there right now that I'm hoping to finish up as a full example that wow. anyone can answer, ask a simple question. Like, uh, you know, we, we could like do something like, hey, where is ecotourism centered, right? You know, like what, what areas do ecotourism have? What is the average price? And then we have a team of people that could be scientists. They could also just be someone who like really likes to look at computers all day. It could be someone that just likes to take bird pictures and they can have a role in helping out on this project. So like really, I guess, uh, yeah, decentralizing community science is sort of how I'm planning it. Um, and it, it goes into these concepts called DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, the eventual goal, it, it's all like web 3.0, you know, crypto bro stuff. Um, but uh, the eventual goal is to actually have some way of, I know, I love it, right? Like, it's, like, there's so many, there, it's, it's a fascinating world. And I've been, like, really working with a, with a company called Mammals a lot on there. So that's kind of where all these ideas come from. But, um, yeah. Mammals with a Z, right? Mammals with a Z, yeah. 
Um, I've actually worked with them since like kind of their launch, just by happenstance, uh, their headquarters in San Diego. And then I was coming back from Belize, and I was like, hey, I want to, what are y'all doing? I'm curious. And I've just been helping out <laughs> for like two years now, I guess. That's great. Uh, but yeah, so eventually the goal is to have these projects get some type of funding. Um, that is through the community. Um, still working on how to do that. Still working on everything that goes with that. But eventually, uh, it could be where the community itself decides on the research project. So instead of the, the goal is instead of having some big funding agency that you have to write a grant to and has to have all these buzzwords, I just want the community to be like, "Hey, this is a cool project that I want to do." Um, like, yeah. like, because that that's a deal. It's like science is interesting when someone has an interest in it, and like most of these funding agencies it's not interesting science for the general public. So yeah, they're disillusioned because there's not cool stuff for them to see. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of trying to disrupt that a little bit. And that's more or less what I'm trying to do with Learn Adventurously. Um, and then, of course, fund it through trips, fund it through uh, merchandising, fund it through consulting calls and speaking engagements and mm-hmm. just more or less trying to carve out a little slice of uh, slice of life for myself and then something I can actually do research projects with. Yeah, you. That's awesome. So what I'm hearing is basically like this, kind of a almost a Kickstarter for research projects where it's like a crowd-funded, crowd-sourced right. scientific endeavors and scientific right. research projects. But then it's also participate like participatory science. Right. Right. Yeah. So that 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 was the deal. It was um I was already wanting to do something like this. Not really sure how to do it, and then. I started learning more about like cryptos and NFT stuff, which, you know, there's, there's a lot to discuss there, especially environmental impacts, but yeah. How do cryptos and NFTs play into that? Cause that's something I know. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, at its core, the cryptocurrency uh, wave is really meant to like decentralize it. So you're not really having currency that's tied to a particular government. It's just tied to people. It's just people and own it. People's what? value increases. Yeah, what we value. Oh, okay. Right. I, I so so that, that's where like the decentralized idea came from. And now mm-hmm. we're in a newer age where um, websites are becoming more decentralized. Like it's no longer you like, so web 1.0 was like static web pages. It was like very early days of internet. You go on there, you, you look for a web page and it's like, okay, cool. Um, web 2.0 is kind of where we're at now. Uh, we have like these big companies. Like I go to Instagram and then look for people. And there's all these people mm-hmm. that are housed underneath Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. Then I go to Facebook. There's all these people that are housed underneath Facebook. Um, web 3.0 is a lot more, um, it is more decentralized. So people don't necessarily go to a single website. They might go to a community. Um, this community is people from all over the internet that all have their own branching off communities, which I think is like the idea of how we see the internet. And that's not really how it is in nowadays. So, um, I mean, it's sort of like most creators are already like successful creators are very used to this. They don't have everything in Instagram, everything in YouTube. They they have it spread out amongst many different, um, stacks, many different, uh, parts that all come to make the whole of their network. Um, and so basically the idea is that now it's not, I don't want to be dependent on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube for my income. I'll be making the income myself through my own community, through the people around me. So that's, that's like a, in a nutshell, uh, where that comes into play. Um, I have some ideas for like NFT crypto stuff. I'm just waiting to see how that all looks, hoping it gets a little bit less, um, like there are crypto scams and there are NFT scams pretty readily. Um, 
I've looked a lot in how to do it better. But like, like for example, one thing I really wanted to do was, um, let's say I partner with trees or whatever, and we're, we're tracking turtles. What I would love to do is basically hire an artist. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of the randomly generated NFT stuff. I think that's just, it's just not my flavor, right? People do it. Whatever. Can you remind me what NFT stands for? Because yeah, I know this, yeah, but so, then I always forget. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm like in it every day. So it's just like there. So NFT stands for non-fungible token. Um, non-fungible? What? Yeah. Well, so we, we already have those in the real world. Like, like we already do. So think of like, like the Mona Lisa, there is only one Mona Lisa, right? Yeah. Like there are copies, there are everything, but only one person or one institution owns that Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFTs are a way to do that with digital goods so that you could say, I uniquely own this thing. Um, they're the kind of the joke now is people just like, I just take a screenshot and it's like, okay, yes, but that's the same thing as getting a print of the Mona Lisa. It's, it, it, it does mean something. And I think that right now it is in its very like early days, cash grabs days, um, which is why there's so much skepticism and stuff. And I, I, I really can't deny like, yeah, that's what it is. But what I would love to do is actually do something along the lines of, Hey, uh, we're tracking turtles, for example, or, or anything I could sell each sell each turtle as an NFT. It would just be like some artist would make it. Um, like we have turtles that are like their, their notch code is a uh, NV or, uh, or, you know, H O or J T. Those are actually all my favorite ones. Um, but like, I just love Those them. are real turtles. They're the real turtles. Like I, I've tracked these specific turtles, but then huh. like someone could buy that NFT. Uh-huh. For example, that would go immediately into our research pool. Like this, this is all early days. No idea for the work. Um, but then uh, the cool thing about this is that you can actually describe a royalty to that. So every time it gets traded in that marketplace, like someone, they bought it, they want to trade it. Cool. All for them. Um, it'll also include information of like, hey, this is this turtle. This is where it's from. You can follow its progress here. You can follow all the data because it's open data here. Um, every time it gets traded, 15% of that trade would go back into our pool of research funding. Okay. So, so that's sort of like the, the broad idea of like how to actually fund all this research is through these like newer technologies, these newer chains that are coming out there. Um, and then, oh. yeah, so it's like very early stages. I don't have any of the infrastructure for that setup. I'm just trying to make community projects people can work on. And then hopefully um, I can get some like seed money to actually start this and see if it takes off. And then if it doesn't, cool, I just go back to grad school. Uh, and if it does, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm broke either way, so. <laughs> Well, I think that's so smart that you're thinking outside the box. Like that's what we need is creative people, creative solutions, thinking for these, thinking about these new ways of getting funding for conservation, because currently our system of capitalism is not working for us and it's not doing us any good. So by thinking of different ways to put value on things that people will, that's so smart. It's just so smart. It's like, like, is, is, is an NFT a stupid thing? Yeah, it's stupid. Like, you know, you're just owning like bits, bits in the internet, you know, bits of code, (laughs) but it's like, you know, it's like, okay, well then let's actually do it with some like actual value, like real world value. Like you're supporting this. It's not just going into an artist. Well, I don't want to discredit artists because they are working hard and it's actually been, NFTs have been a really awesome thing for digital artists because Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, like how do you sell digital art? Like without, without some way of authenticating, this is the original. So mm-hmm. just take a screenshot and now it's theirs. So mm-hmm. I, you know, totally get it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, it was just realizing that like donations don't work. Like or they do work, but only for the top things. And it's like how many nonprofits are struggling constantly on just donations that are 
crap. Um, or it's like, okay, a granting organization. It's like, okay, cool. Well, if I'm just a scientist or whatever, I need to make sure, you know, grants often go to scientists who have more dogma, more dogmatism in the field. They're often going to people who have a much higher status or at a much more prestigious university. That's not, that's not fair. Like, that's just not fair. And it has to be a project that they think is worthy. And it's like, you know, I'm a scientist and like, at its core, science is about curiosity and exploring and like figuring out new things. I shouldn't have to know if it's important ahead of time, right? Like, if I want to just look up something and just do something for the sake of learning more about it, I should be able to do that as a scientist. And our current system doesn't really allow that unless you, you know, take way less time. So that's that's mm. basically the idea um, of the whole learn eventually thing. And then, yeah, of course, tied in with trips and merchandising and everything else to supplement it and do better. But um, yeah, mm -hmm. and that's kind of the idea of also decentralized organizations is you don't just put all your money into one thing. You're doing many things um, with many partners and many people. So I'm, you know, I, I, I don't want to see myself as like a hierarchy. I kind of want to see myself like in the center of a web, but everyone's in the same level and we're all just working together. And I just have my community, but someone else is centered around their community that is also doing their own unique stuff. But I just think it's a way more way of doing it. And also people would own part of the business. Um, that's kind of a big deal is like, you wouldn't have like a board of directors. You would have a, the shares are equally distributed through like a, the way it's done now is like, there's a cryptocurrency, like a specific coin for that organization. And then anyone who wants to participate, anyone who wants to vote on how the organization operates, they have a partial share just by owning the crypto and, Wow. Yeah. So like it, it just works. It's a lot more equitable. Um, anyone can be a part of it. You don't have to be a billionaire. If you own, you know, 0. 0.00001 of this coin, you have a voice, you have a vote, you have something, you know, you don't have to reach a threshold before you're a um, board of directors or have a voice. So yeah, that's sort of like the long uh, explanation of what I'm trying to do with it. It's going to be a multi-year project, but if it works, I think it could do really good. So Brilliant. I disrupt some things. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. You're like a visionary here. This is incredible. This is really, really cool. I mean, I've talked to you before and now hearing it all again, I'm just like amazed and blown away by all the work you're doing. And I'm also realizing we're at an hour and 45 minutes. What? <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And based on all the stuff you have, you've, you're doing, you're teaching, you're finishing your master's research, you're trying to revolutionize the way uh, science is funded. Um, I think I should, <laughs> I should let you go and go back. To <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to hold you back anymore. Like, thank you so much for taking this time. Thank oh, yeah. you. No, for sure. I mean, I I'm always just down to talk. That's the thing. <laughs> I cannot wait to see where this goes and what you do. And I'm like, I want you to finish your master's so you can get, get like, do all, you know, right. I'm sure you do too, but like, <laughs> like, I want to see what this looks like for you in the next year yeah, of yeah. not having the burden of finishing a master's and yeah, stuff like exactly. that. Although science is fun. Don't get me wrong, but like, it is. It's, you can it's, create. It's the rigmarole and the bureaucracy that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It is the bureaucracy and you're, you're creating, you can, you can envision a different way of doing science and yeah. a different way of funding. And that is revolutionary. I think that's super cool. Um, I can't wait to like check in with you in like five years and we listen to this podcast again and be like, oh, wow. That failed. 
<laughs> but you know what? You're going to be then doing something just as awesome with your next. <laughs> I know that's that's always the deal. I've had so many like failed projects and stuff. Like I'm actually the uh, I'm actually the CFO of a board game company. <laughs> Wait, 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 this is a good way. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> I gotta see this. <laughs> He's going to get it, I think. Yeah, this is the stupidest thing. So oh my god. friends, we made a uh, we made a nature-based board game. <laughs> like fully designed it. We have a failed Kickstarter and everything. Uh, wait, so okay, wait, you have to tell me it. I'm gonna take a little bit more time. What is it called? I can't even read the title. It's just like Exactly, that's why the Kickstarter failed. Uh, it's called Vixiv. The game of survival. So Vixiv, it was like this, like a, this bastardized version of Latin that meant thus lived or something. But uh, okay. yeah, so we made this one that's all based around like ecosystem interactions. Let's see if I can get it without glare. Yeah, that's a picture yeah. of a red-tailed hawk. Yeah, so that Hard. was based on our educational animals. So like uh, Freya was her name. But yeah, so basically uh -huh. we have all of these like cards. The whole thing was based around making food webs on, um, on like you know, tiles and boards and stuff. We, we oh. went hard. We went so hard on this, and it was great because we did the Kickstarter. We needed, like, $20,000 to make it a reality or whatever. Um, like, we even made a... Uh, this is a cool thing. Corey, the guy, uh, the, uh, the person I worked with, they, um, they were the designer. They're awesome. But, like, so they made a map. I think this is Moab, but they actually put, like, our actual tiles on it so you could play, like, anything. Yeah, it was super fun. We actually still want, we still want to like make this a reality again someday if we ever have seed money. Uh, <laughs> so but, it's a grid, what you're holding up is a grid and you have yeah. the different parts. So how does, basically how does it work? So basically the, 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 the quick and dirty way of talking about this was you lay down species cards. Um, every turn there's a token uh, that you lay down. So if you're a, if you're an herbivore, like uh, this uh, American grasshopper card, um, <laughs> you lay down a card and then on all adjacent squares, you could place down a token. But if someone put down a carnivore card next to you, the carnivore card can put their token on top of your token. Um, okay. So it's, it's like predating it. Uh -huh. um, but there's like tiers. There's a lot more. There's omnivores in the mix, which are a whole other wrench. There's like mentors and effect cards. Like we have pollution and disease and habitat restoration. Oh my um, gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, we, we just had a lot of fun with it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just like we, we made it. We have it. I think it's like just beautifully designed. We just need to revisit it, redo it one day when we all have more time to focus. Because now we're all in grad school, so now it's like, okay, now we even have less time. But uh, <laughs> this is something we've always wanted to get done. Um, I talk about it anytime I can, because <laughs> anyone is listening and wants to help us fund this. Can you uh, say the name of the board game again? It, it's called Vixiv, the Game of Survival. Um, but we'd probably change it because Vixiv was not a good name, we realized. Um, How do you spell that? V-I-X-I-V. We really like the fact that it was like a palindrome like back yes. and forwards and very uh -huh. simplistic but then it was yeah everyone was like how do you say this and it was like okay well if no one could say it bad marketing um <laughs> but it's like but it's like literally i think if we just changed the name we'd have a much better success but yeah it costs like twenty thousand dollars to have a first run of uh, just like a printing run um to order like a hundred copies or whatever to make a profit because um, like this this thing that we ordered was like a hundred and fifty dollars to get printed okay. out cool custom printing but yeah yeah like our goal is to like basically make a park of like every uh, a map of every national park so that anyone could play with native species in the national park oh cool yeah we were like trying to make a game but we want to revisit it probably tweak a whole bunch now that we've both all, all of us have grown and like no more um but yeah it's like it's always been such a fun one and actually anyone we've played with has actually enjoyed the game mechanics it's just the marketing and a few small things need to change before we feel comfortable doing it again yeah 
I've learned yeah. that like you can have this great idea and like you feel <laughs> passionate about it, but if no one knows about it, it's like, well, what yeah. is, you know, like I, I tried to start a Kickstarter for the database yeah. and stuff and it was failed too. And I was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to need to learn a lot about marketing and how to network yeah. and how to do social media. And Especially with Kickstarters, there's this, um, what people don't really realize is how much money people put into the project before it goes on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Like often there's like $10,000, there's a $10,000 marketing campaign to yeah. funnel money to the Kickstarter. And yeah. So like, this would be something like if my following really blows up like crazy, I'm repitching this and it's like, Hey guys, we're doing this again. <laughs> like, That's awesome. That yeah. is so awesome. I, I want to let you go. I have an idea though for a, um, for <laughs> so, um, this is an idea that I just want to make happen, but I don't know how. Um, so like, you know, I think about the money redistribution and stuff. And what do people love? People love guilty pleasures. People love entertainment. Like that's why Netflix is so popular. That's why like The Bachelor is so popular. And even I can fall into the trap of like, I like some reality shows. What if we had a reality show about like putting a group of field biologists together and they have to like compete <laughs> and they have, I mean, because I've met so many interesting personalities while I've done my field tech work. We just put like these random personalities together. They have to figure out how to live in a house together, like real world, um, you know, MTV, whatever. And it's like that combined with Survivor where you have to learn these biological, physical skills or compete in these physical skills and see who comes out the winner. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I've been uh, I've been considered for a reality TV show before. <laughs> I got, I did the interviews and everything. Yes. How far did it get? What? Which one? First of all, and why aren't you on? Why aren't you a reality? I was supposed to be in Australia or something. I don't know. And like they they reached out to me. And I was like, cool. I'll I'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll explore this option. Um, and like they're, they're, they're actually the thing was like they wanted a biologist on because they thought it'd be like cool and they saw like some of the stuff I didn't believe and it was like yeah okay. I talked about I talked about the zip line you know of course I talked about the zip line I was like I can build a zip line for y'all <laughs> if that's a challenge I can do that <laughs> I will win at that <laughs> but yeah you know they just stopped responding and I'm like okay whatever you know oh like, uh, so it was yeah. like it was like a reality show kind of put together with just random personalities. Yeah, it, it felt a little bit like Fear Factor, but without like the eating gross stuff, just like challenges oh. and stuff. So I was like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I'm always like, you know, I'll do anything. Like, I don't care. I thought it'd be funny. You know? <laughs> I really, I don't know how to like get this idea off the ground, but if anyone's listening and wants to go in on with me, or if anyone's listening who works yeah. for Nat Geo or Discovery Channel, yeah, like, yeah. come on, let's, we could do this but I claim the idea first because I think it would be a really good idea (laughs) and could get more funds back to conservation. Like people get stuff up anyway. So now I'm just rambling, but, um, okay. Thank you. Thanks for taking up your time. (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. We we stopped it right before the two hour. (laughs) This is by far the longest interview, but that just goes to show like how you're, you're just doing so much amazing work and you're awesome and engaging and so personable. I heard you refer to yourself as an introvert and another. Oh yeah. Podcast oh, for, sure, for sure. Really, I don't. Oh yeah. So you just need a lot of downtime to decompress oh, because yeah. you seem so extroverted to me. I, I'm very big on like I just need to be left alone for the rest of the day. Like I, I say that pretty often. Like, and I, I'm pretty open about it too now with friends. Like I used to like make an excuse or whatever, and mm-hmm. now I'm just like, no, nah, I want to be alone today. Like, yeah. <laughs> Got to recharge those batteries. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just like a very social introvert, so it's just like yeah. But it's like I I now know myself way better than I used to. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, leave me alone. Self-awareness is always good. (laughs)
Well, I hope you can get some rest and um, recharge your batteries. Thanks for doing this interview with me. Yeah, Thank you sure. so much. And keep coming up with amazing ideas. Uh, I can't wait to see what the future has in store for you. It's going to be really exciting. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> it's always like the, we gotta got to get something to succeed, but let's do this. <laughs> It'll work out just yeah. as it's meant to. Or so I tell myself that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if you fail. Thanks for being on, Dylan. It was great talking with you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. (laughs) See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening. And remember, ethical conservation needs and deserves funds so that passionate people like you can get paid what they're worth. There's enough money to go around. Let's go get it and use it for the good of our planet.